What's up, friends? Welcome to Web3 Academy, a place for entrepreneurs, creators, and marketers to explore and learn how to use Web3 to transform business models and create thriving communities. Enjoy this next episode. All right. Welcome to Web3 Academy. It is the Tuesday weekly spotlight. Uh, and today we are spotlighting David Myhall. Super excited to have David on the podcast today. Uh, David is a expert in everything data and analytics on the blockchain. Uh, and he's going to be sharing with us uh, what he's been working on. Uh, he was one of the founders of Crypto Fees, which I'm sure all of our listeners have spent time on uh, and has many other uh, pages within there, OpenOrgs, Money Printer, ETH Burned. I won't even list them all. David, you can tell us about them. Uh, and more recently, he started building uh, a DAO, Crypto Stats, uh, which uh, we're super excited to dive into because it's all focused on um, making trustworthy crypto me metrics available to all, which is really uh, fitting in with the ethos of Web3 uh, and um, making everything uh, permissionless uh, and available to the masses. David, welcome to the podcast. Hey guys, uh, excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. We're excited to have you too, my man. Uh, well, I gave a brief intro, but you can probably tell your story better than I can. So uh, why don't we just start out with uh, you telling us a bit of your story? Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, my, my name is David. I'm a software engineer. Been kind of working in the crypto space since uh, since last cycle. I got it like around 2017, 2018 was when I really started diving headfirst uh, into the space. And, you know, I, I love it more and more every day. It's just the coolest industry to work in. You, you work on cool technology, you meet kind of uh, really cool people. And I mean, it's just the craziest stuff happens too. It's, it's exciting every day. So um, yeah. So in terms of the stuff I've worked on, I've worked on all sorts of stuff uh, throughout the years. I've uh, kind of done a, a few independent projects. I've done a bunch of work for different DAOs, big and small. And the main thing I'm kind of focusing on now is, is you know, as you mentioned, Jay, um, you know, crypto fees and especially crypto stats, which is kind of the project that has evolved out of that. So yeah, that's my, that's my main focus now. I don't know if you want me to kind of give the full background on, on that or. Yeah. Why don't you dive, dive deeper into kind of starting crypto fees at why you started that first of all. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to just kind of, to understand mm -hmm. that. Um, what's interesting is these are all just like free web pages for anyone to use in the space. Um, so like, where does that come from? Why did you get into analytics on the blockchain? Uh, and then I think we'll dive a lot deeper into analytics because I think that's a super interesting uh, conversation. Cool, cool. Yeah. So I'll start by kind of rewinding uh, a couple of years to, you know, kind of before, before the pandemic hit, before, um, you know, DeFi and everything really started kicking off, you know, we had a lot of these DeFi primitives that we have today, like, um, you know, MakerDAO exists. We had like kind of decentralized stable coins and lending. We had Aave and Compound. We had Uniswap, of course. So there was, you know, I've been kind of working in the space and seeing these really amazing projects coming up, but they hadn't really gotten like the mind share yet. People didn't really know what they were. You know, most people weren't thinking about crypto at all. And if they were, they were just thinking like, oh, there's like Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash and, you know, Bitcoin gold and, you know, and there's Ethereum, but everyone just thought of Ethereum as like, oh, it's probably just like a, it's just another version of Bitcoin. Um, and so when people looked at kind of like metrics, the metrics usually kind of reflected that perspective of the ecosystem. You know, even today, you know, this, the main metric people look at is uh, market cap. So which coin is the biggest, which coin is the smallest? And they would look at, you know, other trading metrics, you know, what is the what is a vault trading volume of something? What's the volatility? You know, what's the unit price is still like kind of a big one. Like, is it a dollar? Is it $30,000? Stuff like that. But the cool thing as like DeFi started growing is you started to, you know, have a lot of these metrics that, you know, a lot of them are kind of more comparable to traditional metrics and traditional business. Um, so, you know, the metric that kind of uh, we, we, got started with and built everything around is revenue. And, you know, you can look at any company and you can look at their revenue. Um, people who work in traditional finance, they're very comfortable looking at, you know, revenue and profit and, you know, doing kind of discounted cash flow models to, to evaluate to the valuation of something. So, 
you know, I, I did think it was interesting that, uh, or I felt like people were really missing out on how much cool stuff there was in crypto because they assumed everything was just something like Bitcoin. That was just some new asset that was not backed by anything, you know, didn't have any valuation against it. Um, so I felt that way for a while. And I think kind of the, the thing that got me to build uh, crypto fees was I saw a tweet from, from Hayden Adams, who's the creator and CEO of Uniswap, where he was talking about the fee, the fees that Uniswap was accruing. Um, so, if, you know, if you don't know, when you make a trade on Uniswap, there's, uh, you know, you, you buy and sell some coin and a small amount of that trade goes to the liquidity providers, the people who, you know, have deposited assets into this pool. And, you know, the amount of, of uh, fees that were being paid was, was actually quite high. And he had this tweet where he showed, you know, there's a lot of people paying transaction fees, you know, maybe the tens of thousands of dollars to transact on Bitcoin. Ethereum was also pretty high, maybe 10,000, you know, dollars or something. And then the next was Uniswap was also had quite a bit. And then he showed, I think the tweet had like, you know, basically said like, oh, you know, then, then there's like 400, or, you know, how many hot dogs, like something about the price of hot dogs. And then all of these other blockchains saying um, Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin and Ripple and stuff like that, which all had like tens of dollars in daily fees. <laughs> um, now, of course, people at that time who probably liked those projects would go, oh, look, you know, the, the fees are so low on Litecoin. Uh, but when you kind of look at this aggregate fee metric, you go, ah, like there's actually like nobody's nobody's paying very much to use this blockchain. Um, and the great thing about this metric is it doesn't just work for blockchains. You can take something like Uniswap and you can compare the revenue of Uniswap, like how much are people paying to use Uniswap against how much are people paying to use Bitcoin? How much are they paying to use Ethereum? Um, so I saw that tweet. I thought this was like a really, really great metric that was kind of, um, you know, it intuitively like made sense to me that's like, you know, the, the ones that are useful, like Bitcoin is useful. Ethereum is useful. Uniswap is useful. I mean, personally, I don't think, you know, Litecoin is that useful. And, and I felt like those numbers <laughs> kind of reflected that. So, you know, it, it took like an hour or two and I just built this like really, really simple website. Uh, that just kind of showed those fees. And, it, you know, I still have a screenshot. It, it looks pretty similar to the site today. Um, and I, I just kind of built it for myself. And then I think, you know, maybe a month later, um, you know, Uniswap fees were really, really high. I don't know if it's something that looked interesting to me. So I just decided to tweet it out and see if anyone else thought it was interesting. And the site really caught on. People started really sharing it a lot, posting screenshots of it on Twitter. Um, and yeah, it really surprised me because this was again, something I just built for fun for myself. And, you know, I kind of started like going, well, if maybe I'll, I'll keep working on the site. I'll add more. I added a bunch of other protocols. Um, I would add, you know, the other exchanges, you know, a couple months later, sushi swap came out. We could look at sushi swap first Uniswap. Um, and I started making other sites. So I made one that was how much is being settled, you know, it was basically, mm -hmm how much value is being transferred on Bitcoin, how much value is being transferred on Ethereum. Um, you know, again, at that point, like people were surprised that like, yeah, you know, Ethereum was flipping Bitcoin at some points in time because mm -hmm. they thought, oh, Bitcoin is, we use way more. Um, what were the other ones I, I made at that time? Well, you know, I, I kind of just started making these more and more info sites to try to show, usually to try to show metrics that I felt were undervalued and could communicate a point. So. Um, you know, market cap, that's like a metric that people aren't really, it, it's already, everyone already knows about that metric. So I'm not going to do things like that. Um, and I want to do one where you could look at it and you could really like, you didn't need to be a, a data person or, you know, an analyst to understand kind of what it meant. If you look at crypto fees, you go, ah, people are paying to use these protocols. Um, and that kind of intuitively just gives you an idea of like, oh, how valuable are these protocols? So yeah, that's kind of the, the crypto fee side was, was building that out. What's, what's really interesting is that all of this data is, is like fed into these sites and it's like, it's basically real time, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the traditional world, if you want to look at revenue of a business, you got to wait, like, I don't know, every quarter for them to put out their numbers. Um, but what you kind of unlocked is like, you can just literally go and refresh and see the revenues that Ethereum is making every single day uh, or Bitcoin or Uniswap or whatever. Um, 
I feel like blockchain has a ton of data and I don't really understand it or know what all the data is yet. I think you're going to have a much better idea of this. Can you just share like what data is like, what data is possible to get out of these blockchains? Like I understand fees that make sense and transfers. What else is there just for, for those who are not really aware, what all can you track? And, and yeah. I mean, I think that's the really cool part is what you can track is pretty limitless. Like any, transaction that happens on chain you can you know any data you can derive from it like it's pretty pretty easy to derive for it from it so you know the ones we track are you know fee revenue as, as i mentioned um you can look at like the apy of like lending markets and, and kind of yield generating protocols um you know you can look at how much are people what are the, the amounts that people are moving you know what are the amounts that they're trading what are the amounts that they're sending uh things like that but um, yeah, you can track pretty much anything. And, and as you mentioned, the really cool thing about uh, crypto is that this stuff is all out in the public. Uh, so yeah, as I said, like traditionally you'd have to wait for like a quarterly earnings report for a company to come out and say like, this is what we tell you our numbers are. On crypto, the data is just there. Um, the flip side of it is in traditional, uh, you know, businesses, like the business is basically compelled by, you know, like the SEC to put out a report that they're kind of giving their stamp of approval on in crypto like there's no there's no bitcoin company there's no ethereum company that's going to come out with their quarterly earnings report so that's bank you know, it's kind of ethereum a, it's, <laughs> yes, <laughs> pretty much um and but it's basically up to the community to for someone to go oh you know i think it's valuable for people to know this information i'm going to try to aggregate this data and and i'm also going to try to build trust in the community because you know, if you're a website like mine or Bankless or something like that, like you can kind of just lie. If you're, if you, if the a quarterly earnings report comes out and you lie on it, like you're going to go to jail. Mm -hmm. With crypto, people lie about stuff in crypto all the time. So that trust is a really important thing to, to build up around the data. Mm -hmm. one, one of the interesting ones you have on the site, I don't know what it's called, but like DAO's treasury. And it's like, you can just go yeah. and see all the different DAOs and see like how mm -hmm. big their treasury is. That to me is super, super interesting. Cause it's like, you can literally go and see how much these these companies, if you want to call them a company, are, are essentially saving at any at any given time. Um, and it's just it makes the whole um, you know economics of business just completely open to anyone and everyone, uh, which to me is, is super super interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that website is called uh, OpenOrgs.info, and that that site started in a really similar way to like crypto fees. Like I saw a tweet that was about Uniswap. Um, where at some point someone's like, like, do people realize Uniswap has like an $11 billion treasury? Like <laughs> that's an insane amount of money. Uh, was, I, I can't remember if it was, yeah, it must be billion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, again, like if, we're, if DAOs are kind of the, these like future companies in a sense, um, you know, you wanna know kind of like people talk a lot about how Apple has this massive balance sheet that they have just a ton of like cash and other assets on their balance sheet. And that's, you know, a, a really interesting asset for a company to have. Mm -hmm. um, but nobody was talking about that. Uh, these DAOs had kind of emerged and suddenly DAOs have so much money that they're they're bigger than a lot of businesses. They're bigger than a lot of like venture capital funds that they have right. this capital that they can deploy. Um, so yeah, I, it was the same idea. I kind of put together a simple website so that people could kind of see that and talk about it. And, and also to kind of break down like what's in these treasuries is, uh, and this is something we we could actually do a bit better at showing, but like, you know, a lot of tre like Uniswap's treasury, yeah, they had like $11 billion, but it's $11 billion of uni tokens, which means <laughs> it's not actually $11 billion because you, you flood the market. Like usually when you spend, you know, money out of a treasury, if it's just some token, people are going to sell it for, for dollars for ETH or something. So you basically start selling $11 billion worth of uni tokens. Like it's not going to be going $11 to zero. billion. <laughs> going to zero. Yeah. Uh, but you can see some of these organizations have pretty well diversified treasuries. They have stable coins, they have ETH, they have wrapped Bitcoin. Some of them even have, um, you know, like Yearn had a bunch of debt for a while that they mm. they got a little over a year ago. There was some some hack. Someone stole a bunch of money from Yearn, and the DAO basically decided they were going to like reimburse users. They were going to take a bunch of YFI tokens, put it in MakerDAO, and you know draw a bunch of Dai out of that and give that Dai back to the users who had been hacked. So now you have, you know, a protocol that has debt, you know, they have assets, they have you know, liability, they have debt, like this is 
we're starting to get kind of complex balance sheets, just like any business has. So I'm really if excited to kind of show all that. That's interesting. For when nation states or governments uh, start to use the blockchain, and now we can openly see their their debts and, and their spending and their treasury, that'll be really cool. Well, speaking of, I mean, we're kind of you know, as of a couple of weeks ago, the Ukrainian government is starting to use crypto a bit more. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure a lot of people probably heard that they, you know, of course, when as this war broke out in Ukraine, the Ukrainian government kind of posted a, a you know Bitcoin address and a Ethereum address and said, look, if you'd like to contribute. Um, just send crypto to these addresses, they earned, got tons of money. I know it was like over $50 million, which is more than like most, there's more than the UN send, more than most countries send. Um, and I even saw that they, you know, so of course they're, they're using a lot of this money for kind of, I think they said they're not using it on weapons, but they're using it on like defense purchases. Right. And I think they said a lot of their suppliers were willing to accept crypto uh, because it just makes things much smoother. They probably saw, oh, here's a government that's got a lot of money. If we, you know, just open like a corporate Coinbase account, you know, they can send us money like today and we can make a sale. So now we have a government that's not only receiving money in crypto, but they're sending money in crypto. And, you know, I, I haven't looked at the chain myself, but theoretically, that's all kind of public and viewable. So that's super cool. You're going to need to make a, a, a web page that sort of tracks the money of Ukraine and what they're doing. And what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like... <laughs> So are you going to say something else? It say like oh, it's a new website, like crypto nation states or something yeah, like yeah. that. To track <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Most of this data is like value data, right? So like, where's the money moving? Where's the money accumulating, et cetera. As marketers ourselves and as entrepreneurs, we look a lot about like user data. That's what I really care about. Mm -hmm. I love user data. Is that something you've tapped into or like, is that even possible yet with blockchains? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel like there might be something there with like wallets and tracking what's happening with users' wallets and maybe what apps they're using or assets inside of it. I don't know. Um, but is this an area you've explored yet? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. A lot of people will ask about things like, um, you know, which blockchain has the most transactions, or, you know, the most wallets and things like that. Um, and there's certainly like worthwhile metrics to track, but the, the ones that I've kind of tended to, to really resonate with are the ones that are more financial because they, partially that they seem very, um, you can't fake money, right? Like the amount people are paying, you know, $10 million a day to use Ethereum and most of that money is just getting burned. It's getting destroyed. Like hmm. there's no blockchain that can really fake that unless they have $10 million that they're just willing to light on fire. And that's just one day. Um, whereas like number of transactions, you know, Again, I think like number of transactions on a blockchain is, it, I'm sure you can derive some interesting information from it, but uh, the trend, the blockchain that has the most transactions is just going to be the one that has the most block space. So it's going to be Solana or it's going to be Nano or something like that. Um, you know, I, I kind of compared it to like, if you're trying to evaluate blockchains and you're looking at which one has the most transactions, that feels to me like looking at comparing stores by which one sells the most things. Like the store that sells the most things is probably like a dollar store where they send like sell, you know, <laughs> pieces of candy by the piece for a couple of cents. And the one that sells the least things is going to be like a car store where they only sell, you know, one car a day, but that car is worth, you know, $30,000. Uh, so yeah, there, there's definitely a lot. I mean, there's, there's infinite metrics you can track, but that's kind of why I've kind of tended to lean towards the more uh, financial ones because they, they just, you know, really resonate with me and make a lot of sense but yeah i'm certainly open to kind of uh to other metrics about users and walls and stuff like that if uh, if this makes sense one day one day um okay so the, the you've made all these websites uh and now you're looking to sort of um form this into a dao or create something bigger i want to talk about the dao but first maybe to sort of wrap up the the analytics side unless jay you have any more questions can you sort of like zoom out and talk to us to like what do analytics look like on a blockchain i don't know five ten years from now when like everyone is using it for everything like what what do you think and i don't know if you've thought about this stuff yet this is the kind of things that i like to do but like where do you think this goes and like what's going to be possible or how does this like change the way we think about business or e-commerce or whatever um, but any insight into that of just like where this looks in 10 years from now let's say I mean, for one thing, I think the the whole data ecosystem around crypto is going to be just so much more massive than it is today. Because mm -hmm. uh, if you think of any other 
you know, industry, especially financial industries, like data is such a big part of it. There are whole companies, there are, you know, so many people whose job is like just looking at the, looking at Wall Street, looking at the stock market and deriving data from that. And now we have an industry where the data is all, we have way more data because the data is all open and public, as we said earlier. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some sites tracking data, there's some projects tracking it, but I think there's so much room for it to grow, both in terms of there will be companies that are providing data, you know, kind of to, to end users. I think there's a lot to grow in like the protocol space. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk a bit about kind of what we're doing, but, you know, we depend a lot on protocols like the graph, which is an indexing service that kind of combs through all the data and can kind of like create new data based on the actual on-chain data. So I think that's a space that's going to grow a lot. Um, and, you know, tools, there's things like Dune Analytics, which lets you kind of write SQL queries on all this data. I think you, know, you can kind of look at each of these spaces and go a lot of parts of the data ecosystem in crypto. There's like one or two companies, you know, providing some service. I think five years from now, it's going to be a very big, very competitive uh, ecosystem. And uh, yeah, we're hoping to have a, a big role in that. Super cool. Jay, any other questions you have on analytics or do you want to dive into the DAO? No, let's dive into the DAO. I'm super excited to hear more about crypto stats. Awesome. Cool. So, uh, yeah. So as you said, I kind of like built a bunch of these websites, had kind of gathered a bunch of data, you know, was, was working with projects all the time because, you know, projects are coming to me going, Hey, like we want to get on crypto fees, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and also talking to, so a lot of my time is going into just working with projects that want to get listed. And there's also a bunch of people who are coming to me and going like, they're either going, hey, can you like show data in this way? Can you make a graph like this or a chart like this or something? Or, or some projects are going like, hey, can you have make an API? Because we want to show this data on our website, on our app or something like that. Uh, so I kind of started to realize like the, the data itself was like kind of really like the most valuable thing that we had tapped into. Like it wasn't this really simple website that's just like a very simple table. Like anybody can build one of those. The mm -hmm. thing that's hard is like, looking at all these different protocols and they all, you know, if, if you just pick one metric like fee revenue, they all generate fees in different ways. They all kind of the, the on-chain data to see the fees is very different. So it's a lot of work to just kind of aggregate that. And, you know, there's a, a few sites that are showing metrics and every website is like doing all the same work. They're all trying to scrape all this data and process it and aggregate it and stuff like that. And, this would be something that'd be useful if there was just like one set of data that anybody could use that anybody could tap into. And, you know, on one hand, like if you're, um, if you're a DeFi protocol and you want to get your data into the ecosystem so people could see it, you could just put it in one place instead of working with 10 different teams. And on the other hand, like if you're, you know, there's a lot of really great data visualization people or people who have really cool data websites for those people, like they should be focused on, how do I communicate data to users? How do I present it in a way that people will understand it? They shouldn't be worried about like, oh, a new DEX just launched. Now I have to write more code to get this new DEX. <laughs> um, so that's kind of what we decided to, to that's where crypto stats came from, was the idea of we already had all, all this data for crypto fees for a bunch of these websites. What if we could make this like kind of one shared repository where anybody could contribute data to it and anybody could view that data from it and you know, hopefully this data library would grow and grow over time as this like shared public good uh, until, you know, the goal is for every website to, you know, every data website, every data project to be using this data. And, and of course that means, you know, every, every DeFi project, every blockchain, whatever is going to be incentivized to make sure that that one place has accurate data. Uh, so that's kind of the goal and what we're trying to build. And, and we're especially trying to do it in, this is what I think the thing is, is really interesting is we're not trying to do this as like a, a company or as a, you know, like a free API or free database. We're trying to do it as a, a decentralized protocol so that, um, yeah, you mentioned bankless. One idea they talk about a lot on bankless is the, um, the protocol sync thesis, which is like, if you're like a decentralized protocol, those tend to like sync down the, the, the tech stack and because people build on top of them, right? If you build a company on top of Ethereum, you know, like Ethereum's not going anywhere. Ethereum's going to be around for a while. If you build a company on top of like Twitter, 
that company might be, do really well. And then someday Twitter might just like turn off their API mm. and, or, you know, if you, mm-hmm. there might be, um, you know, we're, as we were talking about like kind of the geopolitics going on today, like a lot of websites are getting blocked, stuff like that. If you build on protocols that aren't neutral and aren't like resilient, your, your company can just kind of fall apart one day if, if that gets pulled out from under you. So the goal was to build this data protocol and build it in a way that it is kind of as trustless and decentralized as possible, because that's what's really going to get people to, to build on top of it and to trust it. I love that. The protocol, the protocol sync thesis is, is so damn important. I think not enough people in this industry really understand that. Like the point in crypto and what we're doing with blockchains is to create decentralized things so that they can't be shut down. And this, this industry is just too focused on just like, I don't know, making money right now. So they just don't quite understand that, but that's like, one of the best takeaways that I got from Bankless, I feel like, was the protocol sync thesis. So I love that you just that you just brought that up. So you're going to build this um, crypto stats at, as a DAO rather than a business. Um, what what makes you choose that uh, the DAO way? And and I guess talk about like how that's different than building it as a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're building it as a DAO. Um, again, kind of the goal of it is to be not really to be like a profitable company. I mean, of, of course we need, we'll need kind of revenue to, to pay for our expenses, but for this to be a public good that everybody can you know, extract value from and can provide value to. And so the best way to do that, like, you know, and I guess the traditional world, you can do like kind of a nonprofit organization to do those things, but um, you know, providing public goods is something that crypto is really good at because crypto is all about kind of creating these new incentive models, these new, systems that can provide something uh, and provide an economic model where people just want to contribute to it. Like you could mm-hmm. say Bitcoin and Ethereum, those are both public goods. They provide a service. Uh, you know, it doesn't, you know, other than like transaction fees, it doesn't really cost anything to use them, but there's an incentive mechanism that has, you know, nodes, you know, miners and validators that are providing security and nodes that are providing access and, and things like that. So uh, those are, I think, kind of very simple public goods. The crypto space is moving towards exploring more complex public goods. I think would put put us in that category of, you know, it's not something simple like a blockchain where you just need to run a computer. Like we actually, crypto stats needs people to be writing code, you know, to kind of contribute to this thing. But, um, and the other side is that this is the only way something like this can scale. Um, you know, if you, one of the main benefits that we provide is that when you have like a shared public good, you have a bunch of people contributing to it. Um, those things can, if you, if you build it right, they can grow and they can scale so much better than a, than any company can. Uh, like one kind of comparison I like to look at is Wikipedia. Like mm-hmm. if you go back a couple of decades, kind of before the internet was much of a thing and you go, okay, how do you build like a really comprehensive encyclopedia that has as much information as possible in it? And everyone would say, well, you know, you, build a big company, you become like the encyclopedia company, you become like Encyclopedia Britannica and you just hire a lot of writers. That's kind of like the brute force way of just like hire more writers and you can write more pages in your encyclopedia. But kind of the crazy idea of the internet was to have something like Wikipedia where you go, oh, we'll just make it so anybody can write a, a, an encyclopedia article. And funny enough, that like works way better than a company like uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. You just get all these people coming together and self-organizing and they build this, you know, Wikipedia, which is probably one of the greatest accomplishments of mankind. It's this one source of all the world's information. Um, so yeah, with crypto stats, like there's gonna be more and more crypto protocols. Like it's just gonna go exponential. If you have like, if you're one data company and you're trying to like write the new code for every DeFi app that launches, you're never gonna be able to keep up. But if you can build a system, like if, you know, there was some guy who sat down and built Wikipedia and then everyone contributed to it. If we can build something kind of like Wikipedia where anybody can come in and go like, ah, you know, this is my favorite DeFi protocol. I want them to be on crypto fees, to be in crypto stats. They have the tools that they can really easily build it. Uh, then that's how we can kind of scale to something that, you know, is, is much bigger than any, you know, individual entity could build. I love the, uh, the focus on the public good because that's such a, you know, big part of, um, of the crypto story that I don't think is being told enough, right? There's so much focus on Web3 on, you know, the money making and, you know, lots of people talking about being rug pulled and FUD and uh, 
talking about, you know, and, and degen is, you know, a word that gets thrown a lot around a lot, but I really love, you know, the regenerative focus of crypto and the opportunity to make the world a better place. So hats off to you, David. Uh, I'd love to hear about, just take us to the, the sort of the origins of crypto stats in terms of, you know, one thing that I do think is difficult about starting a DAO is organizing humans, right? Uh, and I think we naturally have in our mind that, well, if I'm going to do work, then I should be compensated for my work, right? So this, we're flipping the model a little bit here with DAOs of, you know, coming together and giving work and giving time without necessary compensation in the beginning. So can you just walk us through like how, how did, how did crypto stats start in the beginning? You know, who was on the team? How did you guys form? What were the steps you took? Yeah, so I, one thing that, uh, first of all, it's a tough problem, right, to, to bring people together to find the incentive models, especially if you're starting out without, like, you know, CryptoStats isn't some, like, venture-backed company. We don't have, like, mm -hmm. a big, uh, big pool of money that we can just hire people with. Um, one great thing about it was starting with something that is already, that is already, like, a valuable public good. You know, so we had kind of crypto fees, the website, and, you know, CryptoStats was kind of just an extension of that, like, it was the the way to feed data in mm -hmm. a lot of people came to the community just because they're like, they said like, I want my favorite uh, app to be on crypto fees. You know, there was one guy who's like a good member of our community who was really big into the, um, oh, what is the, the abracadabra community. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of like hopped in our discord and was like, yeah, like how do I get abracadabra? And we kind of like gave him some directions on how to, how to write the code, how to build the adapter that we call to, you know, he, he was motivated by helping Abracadabra. He was part of that community. He wanted Abracadabra and his data to be out there. And through motivated this process, by his like, oh. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> We're focused on regen to... here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, that could be a great way to, like, to, to you know, help public goods is like, um, yeah. We were talking about the Ukraine thing and like, what was it? Yeah, Ukraine was like, here's our address. Like, just, donate money to us. And then like a day or two later, they're like, they're like there's going to be an airdrop if you donate to uh, <laughs> donate to us. And you saw the amount of donations <laughs> just spike off what yeah. was going to like, obviously be like a stupid valueless airdrop. But like, you know, if you can leverage like DGENs and to, to do something good for the world, like. Yeah. I don't see the problem in that. So, um, so yeah, again, like, you know, having something that's already valuable and that people already see the value in contributing to, I think that makes it a little bit easier to bootstrap as opposed to a lot of DAOs will kind of just start with an idea and like hope people mm -hmm. can come to, to build that idea. So we're a bit ahead of that. Um, and yeah, again, at some point we'll have, you know, a token. Um, and one cool thing about crypto is to kind of like token issuance can be really useful for bootstrapping network effects. Uh, I, I saw someone talking about how, you know, like social social networks have this problem of, you know, big network effect problem. Like you kind of can't build a social network because, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, TikTok, whatever, they're not valuable because they're like great pieces of software. Uh, they're valuable because all your friends are there. And then you have this big problem when you try to start something new that if it's, if something's only valuable because a lot of people are there, there's no incentive to use it until everybody's already there. Um, with, you know, kind of leveraging the speculative nature of crypto, you can kind of make a new project that has a token and people are incentivized to use, say a, a Web3 social network, even if their friends aren't on it because they're like, you know, maybe they bought some bags or they got an airdrop or something. So the early adopters do get rewarded mm -hmm. uh, for being an early adopter of something. As time goes on, let's, you know, let's say it's successful, uh, you know, and the, the token appreciates whatever, uh, you know, the early adopters are rewarded as time goes on there's less and less of a reward but it just becomes inherently valuable in and of itself so now it's now you don't need like to early adopters you don't need token incentives because you've got a lot of people um so i think that's another kind of mechanism that that you can use to to bootstrap any DAO, any project in crypto is like you know this the speculative nature of crypto lets you bootstrap the beginning uh the, the growth phase of a project and you know, it's not something that's sustainable. It's not something that can last forever. But if you leverage it right, you can build something that's big enough and valuable enough that it that it can exist on its own, even once those incentives run out. 
How did you, so, I mean, I guess you already have a decent following on Twitter. You have, I mean, the site that's super popular. Is that how you made your community so far? Like without a token, because you haven't launched a token yet. Like one mm -hmm. of the things that I find most people are struggling with is like, how do I build up my community so that I can launch my NFT or my token, whatever. What, what was it that worked for you to like get this community involved and like engaged and actually like active and working on this pre-token? Pre yeah, I mean, again, that's that's like the million dollar question of like, how do you build a community? Um, yeah, some of it was, again, people already liked the site. They, they, they already liked some of the stuff we're doing. So we were able to kind of just get some people by just talking about that. Or, um, you know, a lot of the community comes together, as I mentioned, like to, to contribute to it. They want to get projects listed on it. Um, and some of it's just trying to engage with the, the type of people that make sense in your community. You know, we, we have weekly calls where we, you know, these days we're talking a bit more about the DAO, but a lot of the calls we just get together and we just talk about crypto and DeFi and which, you know, which projects yeah, are doing well and which aren't. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the people who, you know, we're a data project. So the, the people that we want in our community are people who like kind of like digging into the nitty gritty of, you know, what are the, what indicators, you know, which metrics show that a protocol is doing well and stuff. So like, let's build some cool stuff, but let's also like hang out and just talk about like, you know, what's your favorite project and you know, how are they doing on the fee revenue charts or something like that? Um, right. So yeah, those are kind of the things we've done so far, but uh, you know, certainly like growing, growing as a community is still something that we're, we're trying to figure out how to do and uh, how to get more people involved. So yeah, I think that's uh, something that every, every DAO and, and community is working on. Right. And so you, you started the community off the back of crypto fees and these other mm -hmm. free sources and mm -hmm. then and then you started these weekly calls did the idea for creating a DAO just pop out of one of these weekly calls was it something that you kind of came up with on your own or with somebody else like when do you, can you sort of trace the origin i mean the the calls definitely started i mean for a while like this whole project was like a, a side project to me like you know I, I built crypto fees and stuff like just for something fun i was working on other stuff um, so there was only like one point when I kind of realized like, oh, actually, I think I can build something really interesting and useful out of this, uh, which you know, a DAO is like a big part of, of that whole thing. They went, okay, I need to start like engaging with the community. Um, I kind of like built like a small community by accident. Like, you know, eventually I made like a telegram group because people wanted to be in a telegram group. So I had put like very minimal effort into the community side and I was kind of like, well, no, I need to like actively start getting people involved. So that's kind of when I we started doing the community calls. Um, but yeah, most of the plans were, were already there at that point. But, but a lot of the stuff on the community call is like, you know, we'll chat about the websites and people go, Oh, you know, it'd be great if we show could kind of show a chart that does this, we could do something like that. So you get a lot of ideas, um, contributions out of those calls just by kind of talking to people, hearing what they're, they're interested in. You know, it's, it's interesting as I hear this, people talk about DAOs as like they're completely community driven uh, and you need the community to start everything to do everything. I have this feeling that like the best way to do it is like you need the one leader that goes and builds something first and like people yeah. sort of kind of um, get excited about that. And then it's like, then they start to contribute and help because not everybody is a entrepreneurial leader, like the Elon Musk that's going to just go and create everything. And if you bring a thousand people together and go, okay, what should we start? Probably things don't really get done, but if one person takes the lead and starts the business or starts the product or the public good, a bunch of like, oh, that's really cool. And they start giving their feedback. That to me is the best way to form a community. I don't know if you see that, but it looks like that's kind of what you did. Yeah, I think kind of there's like some misconception around DAOs that they're supposed to be like very flat, like very like no roles, like everybody just kind of like puts in their part and you build something out of that. <laughs> uh, I think we've also seen a lot of DAOs that have completely failed, like trying to follow that model. So, right. you know, what, what makes a DAO to me is that it's, you know, everything is, you know, or not everything, but as much as possible is open and transparent and that anybody can just join at any time. You don't need to like apply to join uh, at least kind of like the, the entry level, but you know, humans, humans need like some structure to organize under, you need leaders, you need teams and groups and things like that. Uh, so like, I think a lot of DAOs have learned the hard way that trying to be totally open and flat, like I'm sure there's some, a couple of examples of it being successful, but overall, I think those are kind of like, not not do well so yeah for ours you know i'm, I'm definitely like me along with kind of my my co-founders and, and a couple core uh parts of our team are kind of like 
leading the the project we're happy to do that but you know again it's not something that we can do alone so i think it's right. kind of our job to at least kind of set the the vision and the direction and do some of the core parts of it and then also to try to engage the community and, and get them to you know to to build out the rest of it and to be the important contributors right. to it I want to, so I know that you've been a part, so I mean that you're starting this DAO, you haven't launched a token there yet, but I know you have been involved in a lot of DAOs that do have tokens. Bankless DAO, I think you, I don't know, did you write the code for it or you helped, you were a part of- I, I wrote, launch. yeah, I, I helped launch it. I wrote some of the um, the code for it. So I, mean, I haven't been super involved in Bankless DAO since it's launched, but uh, you know, before launch kind of, David Hoffman like reached out to while, I was like, hey, we're, we're looking at doing this DAO, you know, you interested and, um, and Bankless DAO was definitely like a really big inspiration for, for crypto stats to kind of see something go from just like a bunch of passionate people to seeing the community kind of taking off and figuring out products to build, like directions to take it and, and things like that. Uh, definitely inspired me to like, you know, can we do something similar? You know, Bankless DAO is very focused around communicating, like kind of bringing people into crypto, helping them understand it. And can we do kind of what they've already done, but do it for data? Um, and even like we've we've talked with Bankless DAO a bunch of like even working with them to have them build right. some like data websites. We give the data uh, stuff like that. So I think Bankless DAO is a great like kind of success story for DAOs like that. Yeah, completely agree. Is there anything? So I mean, the big question everyone has is like, how do I set up my tokenomics? How many tokens do I launch? Yeah. How do I distribute it? How do I do all this stuff? So I guess two questions here, like. Anything that like stood out to you in the way that Bankless DAO did it um, or other DAOs you've been a part of? Um, and then like, what's your plan? Or like, maybe maybe it's very um, all over the place right now, but like, what's your idea? Or what are the kind of things you might do for CryptoStats DAO? Mm -hmm. In terms in, of tokenomics? In terms of tokenomics, yeah. Yeah, so the tokenomics stuff, I mean, I'll say we, we've, we've thought about it a bunch. We have a bunch of ideas, but you know, right now that's not, uh, the focus is not like kind of, tokenomics or anything like that, the, to the focus will be just kind of getting the community involved. Right. Uh, one thing that I did really like about Bankless, I'm not sure if, if other projects had done this first, but the way Bankless now launched is they, you know, they, they just kind of like airdropped the token to the community. They didn't take any of themselves. Like there was no, you know, just like Bankless now, like, you know, we, we don't have investors, a lot of projects launched and it's like, you know, 75% of the tokens go to like VCs and co-founders and stuff like that. Like it's none <laughs> of that. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll launch and then, you know, obviously like we will want some tokens for kind of the team that's built it and stuff. So to do a, a Genesis proposal where you basically, um, you, you launch the DAO, but it's like someone else's DAO. And then you come to the DAO and go like, look, like we've, you know, already kind of contributed a lot to this ecosystem. We have a lot of plans to continue further. Here's a proposal of how we think we can do it. And we would like, you know, kind of a vested allocation of some of these tokens for that. So I think the cool thing about that is um, it's like you're setting the expectation with the community up, up front. You're not forcing the community to like accept your terms. You're kind of coming, presenting the community with some terms. And if the community says, oh, you know, we don't like, um, you know, we, we want to refine kind of what some of your responsibilities or what you want to do are, or, you know, you're asking for too many tokens or something like that, that can kind of get negotiated with the community. And, uh, you know, I, to me, that feels much more fair and much more like you're, you know, the creators of the DAO are kind of engaging with the community, even from the, the outset, they're not kind of mm -hmm. enforcing any terms upon the DAO. So I, I like that idea a lot. And we're going to think do something very similar. It's so interesting. So they just launched all the tokens, took zero, and then we're like, hey guys, can we actually, can we grab like 10%, please? We want to do more work. <laughs> That's scary, but I love that actually. It's, it's very fair and it, it makes sense. I can see that being kind of the norm for sure. Yeah, I mean, I can see how like, you could definitely look at it and go, oh, it's basically the same thing as just taking the tokens because it's like, well, you know, who's going to say no to that? But I do think that there is some some kind of nuance there of like, you know, the the community is probably not going to say no, but they might, they might ask you to tweak it. They might say, ah, like right. we want this to be a little bit different. And, you know, and it at least kind of establishes again, that like the community did kind of consent to, to the creator's role in that ecosystem. So yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. And even just by giving them the opportunity to yeah. have their say, it's incredible what that does for, for buy-in. Right. I think that mm -hmm. one thing that is so interesting is and, and you sort of alluded to this earlier, David, um, is 
I think a lot of people have this misconception of DAOs that there's something like completely different, but really it's just a new way to operate a business, right? It is still a business in the end, right? Um, and uh, what what you need when you have a business is you need you need your all your members to be bought in to your what you're doing, right? And your mission and your vision, uh, and you need, you need them to believe in the leaders, and so. Uh, you're you're just taking a different approach at achieving the same thing that a business would look to achieve. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I guess one thing I'll I'll kind of add to that is about uh, you know getting buy-ins from potentially like pretty large groups of people. One thing I think a lot of DAOs that are really good DAOs are very focused in terms of like what they set the scope of their mm-hmm. their mission, their goal to be, um, which I think is different than a lot of businesses. You look at a lot of like there's a lot of big corporations that just do everything, right? Like they, what is it like G, uh, GE does everything from like jet engines to like light <laughs> yeah. switches to like, you know, all sorts of, yeah, all sorts of stuff like that. And I think in, in traditional business, there's this, uh, this push to kind of like, you know, expand your, to be like a walled kingdom to kind of keep expanding your territory to kind of claim as much territory as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, I hope this stays this way with kind of crypto and DAOs. It's much more of an open, open kind of collaborative ecosystem where I think it's great if, if DAOs and organizations are kind of more like focused on ex- achieving one objective and having it be more of a network of a bunch of different DAOs operating with each other. We were talking about you know, kind of crypto stats and bank lists. Like what we're trying to do with crypto stats, it's, it's very like, we're not trying to do much. We're trying to... We're trying to we're trying to be an API, right? Like that's not a whole lot. We're not trying to um, you know, and there's a lot of different parts of like the data ecosystem. There's like the we say kind of there's the indexing layer, that's something like the graph that's like this is a very uh, kind of resource intensive process. And there's like the presentation layer, which is you know, communicating data to people. We're we're not really trying to do either of those, but I think you know, we've worked with the graph foundation a bunch, we've talked to Bankless DAO. Um, so kind of all three of those DAOs are kind of three very like tightly defined DAOs mm-hmm. that can leverage each other a bunch to kind of build something that altogether is, is much bigger. That's interesting. It reminds me of like, so like DeFi, you hear DeFi Legos, right? Where like, yeah. you know, you build an exchange and then another company builds on top of that and like utilizes that exchange to do whatever they're going to do, loans or whatever. And it's like, they all build on top of each other. You're kind of talking the same thing, but instead of DeFi protocols, it's like, it's like DAOs or like businesses that are yeah. just kind of like all building and relying on each other. Um, that's super interesting. I never thought of DAOs yeah. in, that, in that nature. Yeah, that's what I think is the really cool thing for DAOs. And, and just like with DeFi, it tends to be the, the, like, the simplest and the trustless, most trustless ones that work right. really well. You know, right. you see like Uniswap is a really simple, like, you know, the, the code behind Uniswap is like, especially like, you know, V1, V2 is like really simple code. Like anybody can build on top of Uniswap. And when you look at like, say, DAO tooling, the DAO tooling that's taken off is usually the really simple ones. It's like Compound's mm-hmm. framework and like Moloch DAO. There's a lot of projects that tried to build like really big governance systems and actually like people want like small, like uh, atomic little pieces of code or organizations or whatever that can, that can build off each other. I don't know if you've seen this, but what this makes you think of is like, I understand the DeFi Legos because it's, there's no human really involved. It's like, you're just connecting code to code, connecting DAO to DAO is there's trust because you're relying on the humans of that DAO. Have you seen any other DAOs that are doing this where like maybe they just exchange tokens and now all of a sudden you hold some of CryptoStats, you know, DAO tokens in the treasury of, you know, I don't know, whatever, another graphs one or whatever. And like, is that the way that they would connect or have you seen this at all? Or what were your thoughts there? Yeah, uh, I mean, I know token swaps is like a thing that happens. I, I don't know how many like great examples off the top of my head, but I know okay. theoretically the idea is if you have two DAOs that want to kind of like, work together or, you know, they're kind of aligned that they'll do like a token swap where it's kind of the nice thing is you're kind of like, you're not selling your tokens. Like you, you both mm-hmm. give tokens to the other one and neither right. one kind of sells, but you have kind of some stake over each other. Um, so that's something that a lot of people have kind of again thought of at least. Um, as I mentioned, like we've worked with uh, the graph foundation a bunch. So, you know, we use the graph a ton. We're very dependent on the graph. And they've been very supportive of the project. And so they've like given us a small grant basically towards like um, mm-hmm. signaling for some of our subgraphs to be there and also towards 
subsidizing, you know, with the with the decentralized version of the graph, you have to pay for queries. So they're basically going to subsidize, you know, our queries for a while with tokens. And you know, again, the goal is like hopefully once we become kind of a more sustainable organization, we can just pay for them ourselves. But uh, I think that's a, a good example of right. They're not really trying to give us like governance over the system, but they're trying mm-hmm. to um, kind of provide some tokens to us in a way that we already find valuable and right. like strengthen that relationship. And I'm sure it's valuable for them for like to, to really strengthen this relationship so that down you know in the future, we're still like kind of using the graph for, for as much of our indexing as possible. So maybe that's a good example. Super interesting. Um, okay, talking the token. So like CryptoStats DAO, you are eventually going to launch a token. You just mentioned like governance uh, or different mm-hmm. like reasons you would use a token. What is the plan like utility? Like why does CryptoStats need a, need a token? Um, and like, mm-hmm. what would be the, the purpose of it? Is it just governance? Um, is mm-hmm. it some sort of like currency or utility token or what's the idea there? Yeah, it'll be, yeah, primarily governance token. Um, so the goal of it will be, I mean, the goal of, of decentralizing the, this whole system is to give the, you know, the trust in our data to the community mm-hmm. uh, so that it's not dependent on, you know, me, it's not dependent on any individual to control what data gets included because there is some subjectivity of like choosing what is the right way to calculate, you know, Uniswap's fees, for example. Right. Um, so to give that to the community. And I mean, one way I think of it is like, uh, you know, there's different ways of like valuating, you know, getting the value of a, a token. When you look at like DeFi tokens, a lot of people, people will do like discounted cash flows. Um, when we launch, we're not going to have revenue. But one thing you can think of is, uh, how many tokens do you need to to kind of change the governance? And one way you can even think of it is, I think there's a, it's a cool way of uh, evaluating like kind of tokens in general is uh, how much does it cost for you to like mess up the system? Uh, mm-hmm. So like, if we look at like MakerDAO, like if you control like a, a controlling stake of MKR tokens, you can just print DAI. You know, you can print all the DAI, you can potentially maybe steal some of the collateral, stuff like that. You can like really screw up MakerDAO if you have a lot of these tokens. Um, so with enough of the kind of crypto stats tokens, you'll be able to put in bad data, uh, which doesn't have like economic damage, but it has massive like reputational damage, not only to crypto stats, but to any um, organization that's depending on crypto stats data. Mm. Like uh, Bloomberg is already using some of our fee revenue data for something. So it's like, you know, how much do you need to, I'm sure there's someone who'd be willing, like, if it was really easy, someone would try to screw up the data that's listed on Bloomberg just for fun. So the question is, uh, like, what is the what is the threshold that you need to, like, screw up the data that's on Bloomberg, the data that's on the block, like all these websites? Um, and, you know, again, like, as it grows, uh, you know, every DAO and protocol kind of hopes to become more robust as it grows. So as we grow and we have more, you know, websites that are using our data, we want to make sure it's, like, harder and harder to kind of get that data inside of it just like you know just like ave wants to make sure it's harder and harder to get bad collateral uh, as mm-hmm. into their system mm-hmm. i want to uh, touch on something you mentioned earlier david uh mm-hmm. and just bring it back for a second to um we talk a lot uh at web3 academy about coordination within a dao uh, and how to coordinate people uh, and so I just want to talk, chat a little bit about how you've done that with CryptoStats. You mentioned the weekly call. Um, mm-hmm. What other uh, methods or frameworks or activities have you guys done uh, in order to coordinate the team? Or tools. Yeah. So again, this is definitely like an area we're still kind of sorting out. Um, it's like definitely a transition to to go from, you know, kind of like doing everything as like just our core team, like every upgrade, every code change is like just just go, yeah, that, that's, that's good. Um, so we're trying to do, you know, now to like use the discord as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. you can see most, most DAOs kind of like the, the main component of a DAO is honestly like the discord for most DAOs, right? That's where everybody's communicating. That's where they're talking. That's where kind of proposals get kind of originally it's, made before. It's the head office, right? It's, it's, right. it's headquarters. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, you know, maybe the, the core of the DAO is like, you know, the, the, the multi-sig or the on-chain contracts or something. But you said like the, the 
you know, a company is not the CEO of a company. Like most of the company is the people who are walking around in the office, like chatting with each other and, and doing work. So yeah, so a lot of, you know, just trying to put a lot of our process open on the Discord, um, trying to, I guess one part of the transition is, is trying to have that openness. I think, uh, you know, again, like I, I talked to a lot of different DeFi projects that want to get something added or updated on crypto stats and trying to put like pull those conversations from a private conversation between me and some, mm -hmm. some team members to go like, Hey, actually, like, can we talk in our discord? Because we have a bunch of community uh, members that would be you know, interested and can contribute. Um, and I think that openness can be tough. I have talked to some people at MakerDAO as MakerDAO move, like transition from a company into a DAO. I think that can be like a little bit of a, like a, a hard transition to like all of a sudden, like all your, your business activities now, out in, in, the, in the open um so so yeah just doing that in the open we have a forum um you know we'll, we'll have kind of like on-chain governance uh at some point uh, but mm -hmm. yeah that's that's where we're at so far but it's definitely uh something that we're still spending a lot of time thinking about like how to what processes to add how can we uh make things more organized and structured so that you know part of making things more ordered and structured is that you can pass off responsibilities to different people without them needing like a lot of experience. Yeah. So yeah, still figuring it out. So I think as we begin to wrap up, I think we're going to do a speed round and ask you a bunch of questions before we, before we do wrap up. Uh, Jay, we'll do that. Oh, cool. Let's have another question. Um, I think you're one of our, one of the people that I know that are probably the most deep into crypto just in general. I think mm -hmm. like you just, you live and breathe this stuff. So I kind of want to get, um, your opinion here, when you're thinking of building out crypto stats and continue to do this, are you looking to build this and integrate with like every single blockchain, every single application? Um, or do you look at like only certain ones for some reason? Um, do you wait until something like a blockchain has enough adoption to be like, okay, this one's legit. Now I will go in there. Like, how do you think about that? Or how does maybe mm -hmm. the, the community think about that? Um, and then also maybe you can apply that to like, when you're going to build, you're going to launch a DAO with some tokens and stuff. Where are you going to do that? And, and what makes you decide that as well? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, from a high level, like 100%, we want like every, we want everything. We want every blockchain, every protocol, every DeFi, whatever, every DeFi metric. We want to have that and, and have it available. Uh, now, you know, one thing you mentioned, like there is, there often does need to be some level of like spam prevention, right? If we, if we listed every Uniswap fork on crypto fees, like there's thousands and thousands of Uniswap <laughs> forks. So, you know, we do have some criteria, things like, okay, you, you must be at least six months old. A lot of protocols, if, you know, if you, a lot of protocols don't make it to six months. Uh, so that, that, that kind of like helps filter things out. Um, the community will kind of have to like create this criteria. The other thing is, you know, because we do want, you know, crypto stats to be as neutral of a, a protocol as possible. Um, you know, trying to combine that neutrality with the need to do some curation, you can have kind of different types of, um, you know, different sets of criteria for different collections. Um, let's say one example is um, we've been working with the team behind the, uh, it's like the D, the D3, no, the D4 index. Um, it's one of the like index tokens that are on index co-op. Yep. And it's a, an index of like Web3, protocols. So things like, um, you know, I guess Filecoin and um, LivePeer and things like that, things that are less financially oriented and more like Web3 infrastructure tokens. And they wanted to have like a collection that's fee revenue, but like kind of different criteria for being listed. So we've kind of worked with them. We've set up a separate collection that they can kind of manage. They can set their own criteria, things like that. So, you know, I think that that is a good model for, for crypto stats going forward is this should be a, an open tool that anybody can kind of uh, contribute to and kind of have their, their criteria. If you don't like the criteria that exists, either, you know, you can talk to the community and see if we want to change it. And if we don't, maybe you can kind of fork it and, and make it your way. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, I think that forkability is a very underrated value mm -hmm. and property of like things in, in crypto blockchains. It's forkability is what lets uh, it, what lets, what, What's let uh, what lets contentious issues kind of get sorted out by the market? Like we we've seen that with like Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. It was like big disagreement. So let's just have both, and you know, there's one kind of clear winner. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think embracing that is uh, 
is something that we want to to do and and that lets us again kind of be as all-encompassing as possible while still having some levels of, of subjectivity super cool you ready for a speed round of questions or is there anything i it. guess uh, i guess before that is there anything else you want to say is there anything uh that i don't know is on your mind that you haven't expressed yet and or if people want to learn more about crypto stats or you where should they do such a thing yeah, yeah, I'll do the shill. Um, yeah, so if you're <laughs> if you're interested in the stuff we've talked about, if you like data, if you like DeFi, whatever, come check out uh, cryptostats.community is the website. Um, cryptostats.community slash Discord is our Discord. Uh, cryptostats underscore is our Twitter. So kind of check check all those out. Um, yeah, we, we'd love to kind of have anybody be a part of our community. Amazing. And yourself, where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, so I'm at D-M-I-H-A-L, uh, D-M-I-H-A-L on Twitter. So yeah, come follow me there. Awesome. Uh, okay, well, before we wrap up, let's do a little uh, speed round of questions. Uh, let's do it. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with um, which, which event are you most looking forward to in 2022? Um, this is then probably a DevCon, DevCon in Bogota, not only because um, I've been in, you know, crypto, been in like the Ethereum ecosystem for, you know, a number of years, four or five years or something. I've never been to a DevCon. And so this will be my first DevCon. And it's also DevCon in one of my favorite countries, Colombia, which is where me and Kyle actually met. So I'm excited just to go back to Colombia, excited to go to DevCon, see everybody. Uh, I think that's going to be super fun. Nice. I will also awesome. be going to that because Colombia is amazing. And I hear DevCon kind of yeah. sweet. We haven't had a DevCon in like what two years, so it'll probably yeah. be a super sweet one. It's gonna be a banger. Uh, what's the best thing you've purchased for under a hundred dollars recently? Best thing I've purchased for under hundred dollars. It, it doesn't need to be in crypto. You gotta specify. It, it, everyone <laughs> thinks it's not in crypto. <laughs> doesn't have to be NFT. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did I buy? I mean, I well. Again, I was just in Colombia a couple of weeks ago, and I think my flight ticket down there was like 80 bucks. So I don't know if that counts. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. great. It's getting a little repetitive, but that was definitely well worth the money. Nice. Um, who's your favorite person to follow on Twitter? Favorite person to follow on Twitter? Um, uh, there's so many great, you know, trolls and shit posters out there. Um, Gabriel Haynes is, I think, underappreciated. There's a lot of goofy, goofy, funny videos about crypto. It's good to have like some, some good funny people. I think crypto Twitter can be a little too serious sometimes. Like the people who really to, to not take it too seriously and then to bring some positivity. Nice. Uh, weirdest DAO or NFT that you've heard about or seen? Most interesting, <laughs> funniest. Let's go on this theme of uh, keeping it light um oh there's one i don't even know if i want to say it uh i don't know if this is like a <laughs> i've been getting some like spam dms on twitter from like the pooping ladies section. <laughs> i got this too this guy messaged me so many times on twitter what's it called yeah pooping, from down, the... pooping ladies down i poop you know i didn't look very much into it but uh i don't really want to but it at least got a good chuckle out of it so um yeah, that one. Um, what are the other? Yeah, I don't know. That that's that's the one that's coming to mind for some reason. <laughs> out of all the bad, out of all the dumb DAOs and NFTs out there, that's that's the only one that stuck around. Uh, uh, favorite book. Favorite book. Um, oh man, I don't know if I have a good. You know, honestly, I'm not reading too much these days. I'm embarrassed to say it. Um, it's okay. Yeah, can, so be, can, be, can be can be can be an old uh, an old book, something that you mm -hmm. uh, newsletter you when you were younger. Yeah, I mean, let's see. I really liked iRobot when I was a kid. Um, after I saw the movie first, then read the book. Book completely different. So that's one that's kind of come to mind. Uh, yeah, I'll go with that one for now. Nice, nice, nice. I love it. Awesome, uh, Kyle. Unless you have any other speed round questions you want to add in. Nope, Great. I didn't think of any, but I wish I did now. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, it's my job. Um, well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast uh, and to learn more about CryptoStats. So excited to see where you guys take it in the future. It's uh, 
uh, amazing to see somebody so focused on public goods. We need we need more of that. Yeah, thank you guys so much. It's been uh, it's been awesome chatting with you guys, and uh, I guess I'll see you all in Colombia. <laughs> I will be there. Hope I'll see you in Portugal in the summer first. Actually, that's true. That's true. It'll be a lot <laughs> all right. Thanks, David. Take care, everyone. Take care, guys. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy. We hope this helps you along your Web3 journey. If it does, please share this episode and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. By the way, if you have yet to join the Discord community, you are missing out. This is where all the magic happens. This is where we learn, where we ask questions, where we network. Uh, You want to be in there. The link to join is in the description below. And finally, a quick disclaimer. Nothing in this podcast was financial advice. Crypto and Web3 can be risky. You can literally lose it all. In fact, if you invest on account of what we say, you probably will lose it all. So don't do that. In all honesty, the point of this podcast is to remove the noise of markets and price and focus on utility and implementation anyway. So you should not take any of this as financial advice. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.